and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, and welcome back to episode four, week four. Uh, Reading should have been Genesis chapters 30 through 47, and takes place from 1921 BC to 1875 BC, which is 46 years. I do want to preface this episode with, if your family has drama and dysfunction, you are not alone, and we're about to go into a family dynamic that leaves some serious scars and not the best coping skills, and I mention it only because I don't want anyone to think that their family or even their own past can keep them from being used by God. And with that in mind, let's take a deep dive into Israel's family. So to set the stage, Leah is giving sons to Jacob, but poor Rachel cannot get pregnant. So she offers her servant, which makes Leah offer hers. And now we have Jacob sleeping with four women, fathering many children, and no one is happy. I think the incident that sums it up best is when Rachel needs mandrakes and tells Leah she could sleep with Jacob if Rachel can have the mandrakes she needs. The needs of one, Rachel, are not being met, and the wants and desires of Leah are not being met. It's not whole. And my heart breaks for each sister in their state as neither asked for this, but to not be wanted, my heart breaks a bit more for Leah. Meanwhile, we see patterns keep up and Laban is still tricking Jacob. So through a dream, Jacob starts a genetic modification program. GMOs, as the cool kids call it, on the sheep to make sure he gets the best. And I know, kids, you thought genetic modification was something new, but alas, it is not. In fact, if you want to apply the definition, you are genetically modified. And we're going back to scripture. So Jacob does this and then confronts Laban. (laughs) I kid. I kid. He totally runs away. He does not confront him. And of course, Rachel and Leah and the kids follow. However, Laban just lost his good sheep his good ranch hand, his children, and his grandchildren, so he'd be coming for Jacob. Thankfully, by the time Laban gets to Jacob, God has intervened, and Laban tells Jacob, yeah, you're lucky, I'm not going to kill you. He does, however, want to kiss his daughters and his grandchildren goodbye. And on a side note, Jacob, um, I get the flocks, but what's with taking my gods? (laughs) Jacob is like, you're crazy, it wasn't me, but whoever did that should totally die for it. Of course, not realizing it was his beloved Rachel that did it. Rachel hears her dad accuse Jacob of the theft and puts the idols in her saddle and sets on her horse. Her dad's like, hey, I want to say goodbye. And Rachel's like, oh, I would totally come down there, but I'm on my period, so I can't. And Laban's like, oh, yeah, no worries. And he leaves. But despite the scene, kid... Remember, lying isn't going to work. I think Jacob needed to hear social distortion song, Ball and Chain, especially when they sing the line, uh, but wherever I have gone, I was sure to find myself there. You can run all your life, but not go anywhere, because that's a pattern that Jacob follows quite closely, because the next thing we see happen to Jacob is he runs smack into his brother. So, because Jacob knows what he did to Esau, he is terrified to meet up with him. Rightly so. You know, you tricked your brother out of his double blessing and everything else. So, see why you'd be a little scared of your older brother. So, to help this, Jacob sends a crap ton of gifts to his brother and has the servants tell Esau that he would arrive after the gift. And then he chickens out and runs the other way. However, that night that he decides to run away, he runs directly into an angel 
and wrestles with it. As they are wrestling, the angel is ready to go, touches Jacob's hip to wrench it from its socket, which will leave Jacob with a permanent limp, but Jacob was like, don't care, you have to bless me. So the angel changes his name to Israel because that night Jacob struggled with God, with humans, and overcame. This is literally where we see Jacob change from a tricky individual to an actual man. And literally the next moment, here comes Esau. Because when you're a man, and this is mankind, you have to face your problems. And so he has to face his brother. He did what he did, and he needs to face that. And this actually ends up being one of my favorite uh, reunion scenes in the Bible. Because Jacob knows how wrong he was, and... (laughs) and is trying to fix it with money and things. And Esau's like, nope, don't need any of that, buddy. I just, I want to be back with you. You know, let bygones be bygones. I love you. Want to hang out with you. Miss you lots. We get to see that we get to, you know, chime in to Esau. Remember, he, we were a little worried about him because he had married Judith and then Ish, one of Ishmael's daughters. And he didn't have any blessing left from his dad. So things weren't going well. But we do get to see that he is doing much better. He has come to peace with himself of things in the past and wants to spend time with his brother. But then fear gets the best of Jacob and he doesn't follow his brother. Patterns, man. Jacob, dude. Anyway, enough with the, uh, he drives me nuts some days. Anyway, now in the new place they settle, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, which is such a cute name. I love that name. Of course, it makes me think of the movie Alice in Wonderland. Her little cat's name was Dinah. Dinah is seen by a Canaanite who falls for her, basically woos her and then sleeps with her. Uh, Not a new story. And this dude, Shechem, is like, dad, this girl is the one in all caps. I want her. So his dad's like, okay, no problem. Goes to Jacob to make negotiations. Unfortunately, Jacob had already found out what happened and was pissed. Also in all caps. And so even though the other side tried to make right what they saw as a mere wrong, Jacob and his sons did not see it that way. The brothers conspire, say, sure, we'll let you marry Dinah, but you have to be circumcised first, which the men of the town do. And as they are recovering from a rather, what I assume, painful surgery, Dinah's brothers come and kill the men. And then it occurs to Jacob that this might annoy his neighbors. So... (laughs) God intervenes once again and tells Jacob, hey, go ahead and return to Bethel. So Jacob does and makes all the people in his household get rid of their idols and foreign gods. And when Jacob returns to Bethel, God himself pronounces Jacob's new name, Israel, and tells Israel that he will bless him and multiply him. Sadly, as they move away from Bethel, Rachel dies giving birth to another son that is named Benjamin. And with that, he buries her and goes on home to his father, Isaac. Isaac, surrounded by the people he loves, dies and is buried by the twins, Jacob and Esau. We get to see what happens to Esau and his family going down the road. Usually I have a hard time following the family tree, but I really like having this here as these will not be the last time we hear of these names. So (laughs) Joe, I don't know what that has to do with anything. I just do. So few years rush by. And so Joseph, who's Rachel's firstborn son and Israel's favorite, has a dream about how he will rule his brothers. He's about 17 years old at this time. I totally know that we come to love Joseph, but when we first meet him, I am with his brothers. Here comes this younger kid who already has everything because he is daddy's favorite, including this ridiculously expensive multicolor coat that was not given to anybody else. 
And now the little snot bucket is like, hey, guess what, guys? I'm going to totally roll over you. Yeah, uh, death isn't the very first thing that I think of, but I can understand wanting him to suck it and move on out of my space. Like, I just want to, like, flick his not nose, you know, like, just flick it. At least me as the older sibling totally gets it. Maybe, maybe the younger ones have a different perspective. I don't know, but I am totally with his brothers at this point. Anyway, thankfully, uh, they do not kill him but they do sell him to slavery to people traveling to Egypt. Fate worse than death, probably at the time. So we take a quick break from Joseph's saga and come to his brother Judah. So this is years later. And we find out that Judah's firstborn was so evil <laughs> that God takes him out. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. I just do like, uh, no. God's like, no, man, not dealing with this. Out you go. So he was gone. And so per the custom of the time, the wife is given to the next son so she can produce an heir for the firstborn. However, the second son refused. I mean, he sleeps with her, but as Elle Woods would say, he could be charged with child abandonment. That is evil in the sight of God. And he's like, nope, you're out too. Literally another one bites the dust. Thank you, queen. Well, Judah's third son is very young. So he sends his daughter-in-law, Tamar, back to her dad's house until he, until the son is grown and can do what his brothers should have done. Well, as it might shock you to learn, I'm sure it's not shocking. Judah does not give his son to Tamar. So when she hears that Judah is coming near her area, she creates a plan and makes sure she gets exactly what she needs and deserves. Then Judah finds out a little bit later that Tamar has been accused of prostitution and is all upset and says, cannot believe she was a prostitute. She was waiting for my son that I totally was not going to give her and she needs to die for it. And she's like, yeah, I, and then Tamar's like, yeah, totally. I should die. But first, can you get in touch with the dude I slept with? Here are his things. And of course they're Judah's things. And Judah's like, dang, and to his credit, realizes that she is smarter than he is and did the right thing, whereas he did not. So <laughs> that's just like a little side note. And then <laughs> we go back to Joseph. Joseph was sold and he ends up in a great place, actually, with Potiphar. And he does so well with Potiphar that he is promoted to the head of the house. As a slave, he could literally do no better. Of course, you know, then Potiphar's wife enters the picture. A bored housewife who sets her sights on poor Joseph. Women predators are nothing new. And since Joseph won't sleep with her as she begs, I mean, have some dignity, lady, she sets a trap for him. But Joseph runs. And sadly, he leaves his cloak behind to which she uses to accuse him of rape. Such a nice woman she is. Now, uh, many speculate that Potiphar knew how his wife was. And so whereas normally you would be killed for raping a wife, especially someone at Potiphar's caliber, Potiphar only puts Joseph in jail. I personally think that even if that is true or not, God had a plan and he was going to have it carried out. On another note, for those who are not aware, this prison that Joseph is sent to is at Potiphar's home. So now all the servants that Joseph was in charge of now know where their old boss is and he's in jail literally for something he didn't do. You got to feel for Joseph here in this moment because that's got to be humiliating. You know, you're ahead of these people, you get accused of something you didn't do and now you're in jail. Of course, God is with Joseph and Joseph does what he did before and becomes head of the jail. 
and I have this very inaccurate non-biblical scene, but I imagine Joseph as the uh, jailer from the movie Robin Hood Men in Tights when they first get in and he's got the the suit on. He's like, welcome, welcome. And he brings them. And uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I have a sick sense of humor. <laughs> Me and Mel Brooks, right? Anyway, so while Joseph is sitting in prison and going with the flow, the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker are thrown into his life. Both are accused of trying to kill the Pharaoh and both end up having dreams. And Joseph, and they're very upset by him. And Joseph is like, hey, God can interpret dreams. Let me hear what the dreams are and God will tell me what's going on. Cupbearer's like, sure, here's the dream. Joseph's like, great news, buddy. You're going to get your position back. Baker hears this and is like, awesome. Here's my dream. And Joseph is like, yeah, that's a no for you, buddy. Uh, you ain't going to make it. And it comes to pass that way. Uh, Cupbearer gets to go back and the baker is killed. And before the Cupbearer goes back, Joseph's like, hey, can you please remember me and tell the Pharaoh about me? And Cupbearer's like, oh, you bet. I got you, dude. But as we learned, the cupbearer, in fact, did not have him. Because God always has better timing and plans than we do, especially me. I have the worst timing on the planet. (laughs) I really do. Pharaoh ends up having a dream this about two years later, and no one but no one can interpret this dream for him. Finally, it dawns on the cupbearer, hey, I know someone who can help with your dream. So Pharaoh brings Joseph in front of him, but Joseph gives credit to God that it is God through him that is interpreting the dreams. And not only does God give wisdom about the dream to Joseph, but he gives him the solution to it. Pharaoh's like, dang, dude, well, I'm putting you in charge of everything then. And that's how Joseph came to be only second in command to Pharaoh. In chapter 42, we see the famine has hit more than just Egypt. And Jacob slash Israel sends his sons to Egypt to get grain for the family. Joseph recognized them when they get there and gives them a hard time, which they totally deserve, as he realizes that They have no idea who he is. And then he tells them that they cannot leave unless their youngest brother, which is Joseph's full brother, comes to Egypt. I wonder if the brothers weren't so scared and in need of food, if they would have thought this request a little odd. Like the brothers are like, hey, no problem. Um, We'll go back and we'll get our little brother and and have him come with us. And they go back. They tell Jacob slash Israel this. And Jacob's like, I think the heck not. Uh-uh. I already lost Joseph. I'm not losing Benjamin. Unfortunately, the famine is still going on. So Jacob really has no choice but to send Benjamin and reluctantly does when Judah guarantees his safety. So the brothers go to Egypt. And really, I know they have a good time. But Joseph really messes with them in this. But hey, free male's free male. And as long as they're not killing why not partake, right? Then as they get ready to leave this time again, uh, Joseph messes with them once again. I mean, he has every right. So, and it's not like it's cruel messing with them. But anyway, Joseph messes with them once again, accuses them of stealing a silver cup. I would be so bewildered. And I wonder if they were like, what on earth is going on? Finally, Joseph reveals who he is. And it's like, oh, this makes so much more sense now that he forgives them. And they leave Joseph's like, hey, no fighting. And you know, they're like, what fighting? We're alive. You're alive. You forgive us. Plus, you just gave us the sweetest hookup. Although I'm sure one of them in there was still kind of like, girl, like, you mean we did all that and the dude still ends up over us? Whatever. But 
And that is when they tell their dad that Joseph is not dead, but is second to Pharaoh. And in chapter 46, we get the final part of the reunion as Jacob gets to see his son. Then the sweetness is dialed up a notch and Joseph is like, you gotta come meet my boss. Like literally, he's the coolest. I have to say on a personal note, it is so wonderful when you do have a good boss. So shout out to my own boss, Ben, who I switched companies to work for. He's that good. And so Jacob blesses Pharaoh. He's like, thanks for looking after my boy. And with Pharaoh's permission, Joseph settles his family in a nice land with the food that they'll need. However, we see the famine is so severe that the rest of the Hebrew nations, like, because they're not the Israelites yet, because literally Jacob's right here and they will become the Israelites, but they're not yet. So those that are, you know, kin of Abraham and in different places start selling are are forced to give their livestock for food and eventually their lands. And then when they don't have any more lands, they have to give servitude. They'll still work their land, but Pharaoh gets a fifth of it. And this is how we see, like when we start to learn about Moses, like this is why they're slaves in Egypt. Like this is how it all begins. And this is how they, how it starts. So that is the end. <laughs> I know kind of, it ends abruptly, but um, of course we will go on next week and talk more about the end and and we finally do get into Moses and the actual Israelite nation. So thank you for joining me. I'm so glad that you've been here. I hope to see you in next week's episode. As the great Bailey Sarian says, make good choices. Firm believer in that. And I hope you have a most awesome week and I will see you next week. (laughs) 